Luke, an amazing uh, history. Uh, it's 24 chapters long. The Gospel of Luke is uh, really the, by way of words, by way of length, it's actually the biggest gospel, even though Matthew has 28 chapters. Uh, his chapters are a little bit shorter, but Luke's has the most content. We're reading about a life that will not go away in the Gospels. At least on YouTube, uh, Bono, the lead singer of the band U2, was being interviewed by a, a skeptic in the media. Some of you may have seen that interview, and he was being pressed about his beliefs in Jesus, his belief in Christ. And uh, it's quite remarkable how straightforward he is, uh, and one of the answers he gives um, is that the millions of people who have been changed by Jesus. What can I do with this? The evidence of Jesus is demonstrated in the, in the lives that are changed. Um, and that's a pretty difficult argument to, to counter. And what we're investigating when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we're really looking at a life that will not go away. Someone who is not lost in history, but who is present among his church, in his church. So we are reading about a history of events that took place, but he is also present. He is, we're not just looking at his teachings, but he's, we're actually being introduced to the person of Jesus. Napoleon once said, I search in vain in history to find one similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Nations pass away, thrones crumble, but the church remains. Uh, Napoleon uh, came into power in France after a deliberate effort to actually erase the church's memory from the nation of France. And Napoleon is already realizing the church, you can't do away with the church so easily. So today's message is, a, is, a, is, a, is too much. It's, it's, it's a crazy idea to try and cover Luke in one, one, uh, one shot. Uh, I've encouraged you to, re- to try to think in terms of summaries of the Bible. You will have opportunities to share why you believe, what you believe. And it will probably be a short two minutes, uh, an elevator ride, a conversation in a parking lot. Uh, and so re- remember, think, think about how you would summarize Jesus uh, in just a, a short, a short uh, way. So Jesus' life is a life that will not go away. Last week, I introduced to you a quote from Bonhoeffer, and I'd like to use it today and and likely next week. Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran minister in the 1930s, and uh, he was killed uh, uh, as a result of resisting the Nazi tyranny. But Bonhoeffer wrote these words. He said, happy are the simple followers of Jesus Christ who have been overcome by his grace. Listen to that, overcome by his grace, and are able to sing the praises of all-sufficient grace of Christ with humbleness of heart. Happy are they who know that discipleship means, uh, simply means the life which springs from grace. Isn't that beautiful? Discipleship. Following Jesus is just a life that springs from grace. And then he says, and grace simply means discipleship. When I have been studying these Gospels, uh, it was such a delight to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John and to realize that these men were moved by a person. Uh, they are moved personally by the beauty and, and wonder of Jesus Christ. And as Bonhoeffer describes, happy are the simple followers of Jesus Christ, I think of Luke as a happy person. He's happy to record the events that are 
recounted in his gospel. And he is happy to be a disciple. Now, Luke has a few unique things uh, in it. Luke records some stories that the other gospel writers don't. I don't know if you uh, are aware of this. For instance, only in the book of Luke is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Only in the book of Luke is the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little man, Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree, the chief tax collector who wanted to see Jesus. And oh, did he get a good close-up look of Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight, Zacchaeus. Only in the book of Luke is the tale of the rich man and Lazarus. Only in the book of Luke is the parable of the two sons we call the prodigal son, Luke 15. By the way, if you ever have a chance to tell someone who doesn't believe or wants to know what Christianity is about, I would heartily encourage you to either tell them to just read John 1, 2, 3 over and over and over or turn to Luke 15 and just tell them the gospel's there and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Luke 15, the prodigal sons, well, the son, they're both prodigals. One just didn't leave the house. Um, Mary's song, Mary's song, the Magnificat, the first Word in the Latin is Magnificat, so that's why we call her song the Magnificat, Luke chapter 1. And only in the Gospel of Luke are the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke uh, 24, 38. So, uh, Luke, what's his purpose? What's he after? What's remarkable is that Luke is very upfront. In Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bible, there's a pew Bible there for you. Uh, in front of you, I hope it's there. Uh, Luke chapter 1, let me just read these, these words. They're very simple purpose statements. Luke tells us right away what he's doing. He dedicates his book to a man named Theophilus. It's right there, very beginning of your Bible, uh, Luke, uh, Luke 1. And here's what he says. Inasmuch uh, uh, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Notice that the word narrative. That's a historian that's the way historians talked in those days. Uh, to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, ha having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. There it is. So it's written to a person, Theophilus. Uh, I'm really grateful for Nathaniel when he preaches and for what, when Brandon when he, when he preaches, and uh, they don't succumb to cheap pastoral jokes from the pulpit. But Theophilus is a cheap pastoral joke, right? He was named Theophilus because he probably wasn't very good looking. He was Theophilus. Okay. Sometimes we can't resist. But there it is, the purpose statement for Luke, Theophilus. I've been studying, these, I've been studying and recording these things for a long time. Uh, Luke was a companion of Paul. Uh, Luke was not an original disciple, but he was a witness of the resurrection. And he recorded his gospel. And he, said that, he just said, I want this as a gift for you, Theophilus. Theophilus, we're not sure who he was. He was likely a, a Roman official in some capacity, not, not likely a, a Jew, but probably worked in, in Rome and some part of its vast empire. 
And uh, Luke is not done writing to his friend Theophilus. If you read chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Acts, uh, the book of Luke has a part 2. And Luke writes the book of Acts. And those two books are meant to sort of travel together. And uh, what Luke is doing is he's, he's recording in his gospel the life of Jesus, uh, moving to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the story's not over. So that's the history. But then Luke moves into the history of the church. And so you take the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and someone did the math on this, and it, it, it totals 28%. Luke and the book of Acts total 28% of your New Testament. So uh, that's quite a lot, and it's, 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 a, it's lengthy. It's amazing how much content is, there is. So the purpose of the book of Luke is to write for Theophilus' need uh, that he might have certainty concerning the things that have happened. So really what the Westminster Confession uh, states is that we've been given the scriptures to help us uh, defend against the corruptions of men. That it's not just sort of like the telephone game. Remember that game you play as a kid, right? You pass along, the, and then by the end, it gets around to the 10th kid, and it's completely, you don't even know what the story's about. The reason why we have the written word of God is to is to protect us against the, the wiles of the devil and the corruption of men. That, that is, that we have a certain record, a reliable history of Jesus uh, that we can uh, trust ourselves to. And so there is the great purpose of the book of Luke. Um, and Luke is, Luke is really addressing where did, the, where did the church come from? How, how is the church so dynamic? Theophilus must have seen this dynamic, growing movement in his time. And uh, who is behind this? Who is making these Christians so animated, so alive? Uh, and and what, is he, what is he like? And so that's one of the great purposes of Luke's gospel. And, and what was happening in the book of Acts was that the response of the gospel was sort of like this. You're turning the world upside down. Uh, the comments that were being made, particularly in the preaching of Paul, that people realized in the book of Acts 17, for instance, when Paul is, is speaking to the, the Athenians, their response is, this message is, 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 is unraveling our, our view of the world. You're turning the world upside down. The dynamic power of Jesus is active in his church, and Luke wants that to be, to be known. Now, Luke signals early on, and you, you'll remember this, in, during Advent, during Christmas time, the famous Luke 2 passage, uh, extended history of the birth of Jesus. You remember these words, in those days, Luke 2, 1, a decree went out from, can you fill in the blank? Caesar Augustus, not bad, Roman history, good job. A decree went out from a specific Roman Caesar, right? In other words, Luke is signaling Jesus is born and Rome seems to be ruling the world. But by the end of the book of Acts, things have changed. There's a new ruler in the world. There's a new king. And yes, uh, Jesus was born in the context of a, of a decree from a Roman, Roman emperor that uh, a census should be taken of all the world. People 
should be registered and counted. But really, the, the tide has changed. In the birth of Jesus, something extraordinary is being unleashed upon the world, and that is the reign of Jesus. And so, really, it's interesting, is that if you take Luke's gospel, and let's kind of just make maybe the figure of a, like an hourglass here, Luke's gospel, Caesar Augustus, big world ideas out here signaling Jesus' intention of going at this level in the world. And then we kind of focus down into the, the passion, the death of Jesus, and uh, his crucifixion, and his burial, and his resurrection, and something else now begins to develop. Jesus teaches his disciples, he ascends, and he instructs his disciples to go into all the world And what we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So we go out, Luke signals, and we go into focus, and then it goes out again. Pretty, pretty dramatic, exciting stuff. Luke is signaling that Christ is establishing a worldwide kingdom Now, let's take a look at our text, Luke 4. Uh, I'm throwing this out there for you as a key text in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this passage is Jesus is now beginning his public ministry. He comes back to uh, his hometown, uh, Capernaum, and he uh, visits the, the synagogue Uh, It is likely that he has been passed the scroll for the reading of the day, and so he reads the scripture uh, to all those gathered around. Um, Verse 17, it says here, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And so he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here is Jesus quoting Isaiah 61. "The The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who, were, who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in verse 20, let me just read this for you, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay. Now, Luke is wanting us to see this preacher. The kingdom is going to come through this anointed, sent preacher of the kingdom. And he's going to preach to a particular kind of people. He's going to collect and gather a particular kind of people And there's really two qualities about them. They are poor and they are captive. And they are blind. I should say three three qualities. But they are in deep trouble. It's like they're in a dungeon. They can't get out to the light of day. They can't see. They can't be released. They can't release themselves. They're in prison. And, of course, this is a picture in the time of uh, Isaiah who is uh, anticipating the great deportation of Israel Uh, during the Babylonian captivity, when they were under the the captivity of the Babylonians for about 70 years. 
And that was the great tragic moment of the Old Testament. And Jesus is now saying that that image of being released from captivity is the image that will mark my, my kingdom. I will be the preacher who releases, declares to people that they are no longer bound to sin and they will be freed from sin. This has huge implications for Jesus' earthly ministry. And as Jesus' ministry unfolds in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus in particular coming after the poor, the lame, the blind. And the poor are not necessarily those who are materially poor. For instance, Zacchaeus is a wealthy chief tax collector, but he is very poor and he is very blind. He is poor spiritually. He is poor relationally, poor socially. He is, he is a, a deeply troubled person. He may be wealthy, but he's, he's empty inside. And Jesus comes to him in his true poverty, which was spiritual poverty. And so Jesus on this Sabbath day announces rest for people, rest from the burden of being held, held captive. Some translations have, instead of the word poor, they have the word brokenhearted. Brokenhearted. Now think about, think about uh, Greeks who, who heard this. They'd heard Jesus was a miracle worker. They'd heard, uh, they'd heard that he did amazing things. And yet, when you hear him first uh, unveil what he is like, his heart is for the poor. His heart is for those who are been kicked to the curb of life. His heart is close to those who feel uh, trapped and, and imprisoned. And he is the one who will recover their freedom. He wants to set people free. And a time now has arrived upon the earth. And this is the great uh, imagery that the gospel writers want us to understand. That a time has arrived upon the earth. And here is what was so outrageous about it. The, the religious leaders of Jesus' day uh, believed that you could be forgiven of your sins. Sure, yes, but that's God's prerogative. And no one will know that until the end of the age, right? Yeah, God can forgive sins, but we won't really know. Jesus comes on the scene and says, well, that's what I'm all about. You can know now what the future will reveal. And so what Jesus does is that the good news is that you can know what the future will declare about you, and you can know that now. Now imagine going into a courtroom, and you've been uh, uh, indicted for various crimes. <laughs> and before you get there, you're nervous, and you're driving in there, and the, the judge meets you in a back hallway and says, look, we're going to go through this. And you really did mess up under the law. This is craziness. And I ought to throw you in the slammer for 30 years. But here's the deal. I've got, I've got a way for you to meet the demands of the law. So before the verdict is, verdict, verdict is going to be announced that you've met the demands of the law, so I want you to know that. So while you're sitting in court... Relax. How about that? Now, some of you are looking at that. Oh, that sounds crazy. That sounds like that's. I don't. 
Well, let me tell you something. That's the gospel. Jesus loved to tell people what the future was going to reveal. And you can know now with certainty that your sins are forgiven. And this is the core of the gospel. And this is, this is what outraged the, the Pharisees of the day. Look, only God can proclaim those things. Jesus says, I want you to get to know me. I'd like you to, to know who I am. That is the prerogative of, prerogative of God. And in the sending of the Son of God, that's what the Son of God does. Folks, this is exciting stuff. This is, this, this is liberating. This is the, the, the Luke 4 liberating gospel that, uh, that is going around the world even as I speak. A time has arrived on the earth for the Lord's favor. And of course, this speaks of, of the, the day of, of Jubilee, the, the, the year of celebration that, that Israel would have, that God would forgive their sins and they would, they would rest from all their labors. Of course, now, this, this context, uh, you should read Luke 4 this afternoon because uh, as excited as I may be to announce this good news, uh, and I hope you're excited to hear this good news, Luke 4 records that they were not receiving this good news. They began to march Jesus uh, toward a cliff. Welcome home, son. And they wanted to push him off that cliff. They were offended. And they began to ask, isn't this Joseph's son? You're just one of us. You're no one special. You're not the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, that's for sure. We know who you are. Why, you grew up here. Don't ever take upon yourself the prerogatives of God. And they begin to they begin in their anger and in their offense. They want to, they want to, they want to destroy him. It's interesting that Jesus quotes two stories from the, from the life of Elijah. I won't take much time on this, but he quotes two stories in Luke 4, it recorded for us. And what he records there is that Elijah did miracles and works of compassion, not toward Israel, but toward non-Israelites. And he's signaling that there will be a worldwide announcement to those outside of Israel, to the Gentiles. You see, And as... Greeks and other non-Jews would read this. They would realize that God intends a worldwide kingdom where this good news is proclaimed, where people can know what the future will reveal now. They can live in the liberating news that their sins are forgiven. So non-Jews, the Greeks, that we call the Gentiles, uh, he declares liberty for those captives, those who are captive in sin. And so now the poor in Luke, the poor are in, encompass not just those in Jerusalem, but or those that make up the story of Luke and the, the accounts of Jesus, uh, his compassion. Now the poor involve the whole world, the whole world. Okay. So we have these beautiful pictures of the poor in Luke's gospel. The poor are the prodigals who have a heavy heart, who say in their heart, I have sinned against heaven and earth. Who, who can receive me now? I could never claim to be a son again. Those who think that 
are surprised at the revelation that Luke provides for us that the father embraces the prodigal. The prodigal has a father who can welcome him and give him news that he can be a son again. Uh, Zacchaeus mentioned a couple times already, he, he can be a son again, and he has defrauded people. He has used his position as a chief tax collector uh, to, to defraud people. And as he is dining with Jesus, and he's, a, he's realizing that his sins can be forgiven, as this overcomes him, he spontaneously announces that he will give half of his wealth to the poor. And if he's defrauded anyone, the Old Testament required him to repay twice. He says, I will repay you if I've defrauded you four times. The effect of the gospel upon the poor in Luke's gospel is generosity. They're drawn into this per- the person of Jesus. They see something beautiful about him. They are drawn to him. And their heart is now recovering a freedom. Their heart was captive. And now their heart is free, free to love Free, the parable of the Good Samaritan, only found in the the Gospel of Luke. Someone is mugged along the road. It's a story. They're never in the in the Jewish mindset. There were no Good Samaritans. You, You all realize that, right? There was there wasn't a Good Samaritan until Jesus invented one. Okay, it would be like for us starting off a story. You know, um, well, the Good Iranian. The good Muslim. Do you have categories where no one can be good? Do you have any categories where no one can be kind based upon their culture, their race? Welcome to the shocking news of the kingdom that someone very different than us bandages our wounds. Of course, the good Samaritan is ultimately Jesus who is different than us, but out of his own riches, he heals us and makes sure that we are taken care of. Luke and Matthew both record the parable of the Great Supper. Jesus saw the kingdom as a big banquet. How about that? And and he invited all his friends and people that he knew and and he was close to, and they sort of snubbed him and they gave, gave excuses. And the, the master of the, the, the house of the banquet was, was offended, and he turns to his servant and says, go out into the byways, the, the highways, and invite the poor, the blind, the lame. Invite unexpected guests and bring, I want my house filled. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is filling his house with uh, people who attend his banquet by sheer grace. So, Why this gospel? Well, Theophilus, you're going to have certainty. You're going to have certainty, Theophilus. Jesus was the real deal. You've never seen a love like this. You've never seen a person like this. And Theophilus, live your life with great confidence. He was real and he is real. Luke's gospel is the news of a banquet. The house should be filled. Luke's gospel is a news for those who suffer, who are kicked to the side of life, that there is a good Samaritan from heaven who will come and pay out of his own resources to see you recover. Luke's gospel is freedom for those who have disregarded relationships. They've been imprisoned by their pride. They have disdained people of their own community like Zacchaeus. Uh, they, They don't know how to love. 
imprisoned in the world of self. Luke's gospel is a reordering of these loves. And when we discover, as we listen to this Jesus and he draws us in, we discover the destructive heart tendencies that we all have. And we begin to yearn to know Jesus like the little man in the tree. You see, Luke draws us in. These are stories. It's hard. It's hard to keep yourself away from the Jesus that you're reading about. He draws you in. You can't, you're, you're, you're observing and, and, and seeing something. Uh, philosophers call this moral beauty. It's something that you didn't know you needed. It's something you didn't know you wanted. But it's something you desperately need. It draws you out of yourself. You see, what's happening is, that, it's interesting, is, do you think Luke got paid for this? I don't think so. Do you think he ever got an award? Did they ever have like a, uh, an award ceremony with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hanging around? Hey, whoa, best script, uh, best coverage of the parables. Did they all sit around? Did they all applaud each other? Hey, Matthew, great, good, nice, nice work there. Good job. Mark, Mark, nice abbreviation, nice short rule. Do they ever talk that way? What's his motive? Think of the hours. Think of the time. Not, not, just, not just a couple of weeks. His whole, his whole life. The first day he laid eyes on Jesus, he began to record in his mind the things he was seeing. And he would listen carefully to, to Peter, and other, where he may not have seen an event. He listened with great intensity. Luke had found the love of his life. You're not, you're not reading a record, a, a, a dry history. You, you can find that. Oh, there's plenty of textbooks. You're, not re- you're reading something extraordinary. You see, what we're reading here is the impact of Jesus on Luke himself. And the history that flows here is really the history flowing from Luke's heart. Look what I see. Look what I've seen of Jesus. The heart has discovered in this gospel its deepest need. And here's the deepest need. And, and here's what we don't understand. I don't understand. Here it is. I have a great need to give myself away to something that is eternal and good and beautiful. It's a great need, but I'm just selfish. I think about myself all the time. And I think that's my greatest need, is myself. What's interesting is that what Jesus does, he draws you away from what you think is most important. What our age is most infatuated with, the self. It's been a 500-year infatuation. Western thought, the self. The impact on Luke himself was that he found a place for his admiration, for his joy, and for his love. He has found in the person of Jesus moral beauty. He is losing himself in something outside of himself. That's what Christianity is. Luke's gospel is the self-abandoning celebration of the presence of God in Jesus Christ. And it's a worldwide celebration. Theophilus, you ought to know about this. And you read these words, you'll have certainty. Let's pray. It's a life